0: ...up to the cool kids table. If you've never listened to this show before, you're in store for a treat because today's guest is amazing. What I try to do on this show, and now we are approaching four years and 400 episodes, and what I have tried to do from the beginning and today is no different, is I try to bring a variety of people... Who are doing cool things as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, uh, business leaders, people who are inside a company, who are entrepreneurial, and just anyone who really can inspire the audience to really do more in your career. Most of the people who listen to the show are either entrepreneurs or they really would like to leave corporate America and start their own thing. And today's guest did just that. She started off working in the media business, sort of in the PR, in the magazine world. And she went out and started her own thing. She now helps people get into the news, or as she says, stay out of the news. Today's guest is Adele Sears, and she's a good friend of mine. She knows everything you could ever want to know about PR. So in addition to our regular questions, I'm going to ask her a little bit about what you need to know as an entrepreneur to grow your brand and get the publicity that you need. So Adele, welcome to Cool
1: Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Tom, thanks so much for having me. It's always good to get on the phone and talk with a friend.
0: No, it's great. And I've wanted to have you on the show for like two years. And every time we chat about business or we talk about something else, we're always like, yes, we'll get that scheduled. And so I want the listeners to know, today we were just having one of those calls that friends have where you you know, you you know talk about what's going on with your business, try to give advice. And I said, what are you doing right now? Do you have a half hour? <laughs> Come share with this audience. So thank you for jumping on. I love on. it i I love people who are willing to play, so thank you for saying yes,
1: of course, of course. why not?
0: So Adele, tell us about your business. What do you do?
1: Sure. So about eleven years ago, I um opened up my very own agency. I had worked for a you know big agency on k street in washington d c and I kind of got sick of, you know, just always sharing everything that was going on in in the agency with um, you know my boss who did not at all give me any credit for any of the ideas that I came up with or the business I brought in. And so I said, you know what there's got to be a better way And I just you know, up and quit. I just I did not want to have a boss anymore. I thought it was what I needed and what I wanted and I got that big job. and then when I had it, I said, where's the band? Where's my parade? Okay, yeah, none of that's coming. And oh, by the way, I still have a boss stealing my ideas, stealing my concepts. And yeah, I think I can do this. I think I can set out and do it on my own. So um, when it when it wasn't as posh so to didn't, be an entrepreneur, I didn't did it. You start?
0: Yeah. Didn't you start right out of school working for George Magazine or is that something I made up in my head?
1: No, no, you didn't. I um, Yeah, my first job ever was with John F. Kennedy Jr. And uh, just like funny story, I, um, you know, I, I used to stay there late because I knew I had because to work JF- really hard
0: because, because JFK Jr. was there,
1: right? Because JFK Jr. was there. Hey, yeah, that wasn't bad either, and um and also because like it was me, a girl from Rutgers was the first, you know, one to graduate college in my immediate family, and two girls from Princeton and two girls from Harvard, and everybody had Kennedy connections besides me, and you know I didn't have anything, and um, so I was like, okay, I was there one, late one night. And, um, he walked over to my desk and he said my name, he's like Adele. And I'm like, Oh my God, he knows my first name. Like I cannot believe it. And, um, yeah. And he said, I've noticed that you work real hard and, you know, I want to reward you by, you know, going to the Knicks game, go take my seats. And it was, this is when the Knicks were really good. And I was sitting right next to like Spike Lee and it was just like very cool, like a moment in my life. So um, yeah, I had I've had some really lucky breaks. I had some amazing opportunities and doors open for me.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of women who would have liked to started their careers working for JFK Jr. So that wasn't that wasn't yeah, a bad launch into the work Not world. terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you sort of shared what led you to to taking that jump. You were tired of having a boss take all the credit. You felt that you know you could go out and do it your own. But I mean, once you made the leap, was it hard?
1: Oh my gosh, it was so hard, and I stupidly like started a like luxury marketing PR firm right at the height of the recession. <laughs> so like 2008, it's like, hey, here's a recession, Let me I, do some like I started a luxury, luxury marketing p-
0: I like started a luxury PR company, and the economy crashed.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, I did it three months prior to the economy crashing, and I was like newly married at the time, and my husbands like super conservative, and he's like, "What the hell are you going to do? Like are you actually going to sell stuff?" So one of my first clients ever, actually, and this is such a good lesson for anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, one of my first clients ever was Georgetown Cupcake, and you know I was such a brand new entrepreneur, and I made some I made some major mistakes and some missteps with that account, and um, I didn't protect myself as well as I could have. I didn't, my contracts weren't in play; they were literally my like second, maybe first or second um, client ever. And um, they got to be hugely famous. And what happened was, is like, I had worked my butt off because I realized that, like, hey, if I make them famous, I'm going to make myself famous. I'm going to make my brand famous. And um, that wasn't the case, right? Like, they 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 used my, um, you know, my credibility that I built up for them and really pressed and so many amazing, amazing opportunities. We got them the introduction to TLC, which led to their reality show. And um and then you know a year later they were like yeah you got us so much press thanks so much we don't need you anymore <laughs> and um that was like a major lesson for me right and so my husband has an MBA and um you know he's a professional and I remember just being like so upset and he's just like why are you upset they just played the business game better than you did he's like they they didn't pay you that much they you worked your butt off for them you got them famous and then.
0: Yeah, they moved on. They didn't
1: watch anymore, and then they moved on. And it was a really good lesson. I wish I wish it wasn't like such a famous client. I will just put it that way because there's still a line out and around the door. But like, it was a good lesson early because at that point, I then made sure every one of my contracts were really buttoned up. I made sure that I actually charged for what I felt I was worth as an entrepreneur and a service provider. And I feel like that really gave me a leg up for some of my friends who like maybe were the one person PR firm or marketing agency that went out on their own and didn't necessarily feel confident enough to charge, you know, for what they thought they were worth. So I think that was a really great lesson. Wish I didn't learn it with such a big client, but um, to have really on. And I would just say to entrepreneurs, make sure you spend a little bit of money up front to get those contracts in place and get those, you know, documents in place you need to be a smart entrepreneur.
0: Well, and it's interesting because you bring you bring up someone like a Georgetown cupcake, right? I mean, it starts off, it's just a little local cupcake shop, and now it's a household name all over the country. And so when you have good PR, which clearly they did, that can change the course of your business. So not talking about them, but talking about other people who are listening to the show – what do people need to know about PR? Because PR kind of seems like the black arts to me. It's always like behind the scenes. It's, you know, sort of hocus pocus. What is the average entrepreneur who has a startup? Why why does PR matter and how can we utilize it to help us?
1: You know, it is so interesting because you hear people who are like, um, who's the guy on Shark Tank who owns the, um, the Dallas Mavericks? What's his name again, Tom? Cuban. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. So I'm sorry, it's totally blanked in his name. But Mark Cuban, I think it's so interesting, right? Because he obviously really took advantage of PR in the beginning of his career and like has been a PR machine throughout his entrepreneurial journey. And one of the things he recommends for startups not to invest in PR, which is crazy, because he's doing the exact opposite. <laughs> he's probably just like, I don't want everybody to know what I know. Um, and you hear a lot of, there's a lot of like different things on the internet. It's like, don't, if you're a startup, don't invest in PR. And, um, and I think it's a mistake for lots of people. I think um, getting a few great hits in a really credible media source can actually change the trajectory of your business. And that's what happened for George Cupcake. But I will tell you that like with them, and it's a very interesting story, with them, they had a fascinating story to tell because, what, when I went in there, we talked about it, and we said, okay, so what makes, what makes your cupcake shop interesting? And they're like, oh, well, two, we're two girls who left careers in finance and fashion. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of a so what. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, our, our, our cupcakes are really delicious. I was like, but there's, you know, so what? Yeah. They, uh, there's should, so many they other. should be
0: if you want to sell them.
1: I was like, that's good. Um, I was like, these are all, all so what factors. And it was my job as, um, as a strategist to go in there and have a conversation with them and say, okay, what makes you different? What makes you interesting? And um, what I found is they sold out the cupcakes every single day. And so I was like, well, that's great. And I was like, let's create a line because if we create the line out the door, then we're going to attract attention. And then the media are going to report on that line. And to this day, what a decade later, over a decade later, there's still a line out the door. And it's still one of the most talked about word of mouth marketing campaigns in the D.C. area because that was an interesting story. So I think what PR can do for some startups is really help you hone what your story is, what makes you interesting, and then help you create some trends or some stories that really get momentum built up to the business. And then the rest is really up to you. So, you know, I mean, like, you can get some great media, but if you don't do anything with it, if you don't promote it, if you don't come on shows like Tom's, you know, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna take advantage of it in the way it needs to be.
0: Well, it's so interesting because when I go in and, and work with companies or, or law firms, or some of my favorite, and I'm teaching them sort of how to how to get your people engaged in the community. Why do they why do they need to network? Why do they need to be out and participating? One of the most fascinating things is I'll ask the group. Uh, I did this with a bank one time, and I said, "What differentiates you from the other banks? Right? There's a ton of banks in, in the city. How come your bank stands out?" And they literally said, "We're a relationship bank. That's what makes us stand out. Is we're all about the relationship." And I said, that's not really a differentiator, because I used to work for Wells Fargo, and in the employee manual, it actually says, we're a relationship bank. And they said, yeah, Yeah. but but the big banks really aren't. And I'm like, yes, but they say they are, and therefore, if they say they are and you say you are, it's not a differentiator. And I I see this with law firms, too. They're like, oh, we do good work. Well, so does the other firm down the street. This is not your differentiator, you know, of, of what it is you're doing. And so... Uh, I do find that interesting that people are like. What's your differentiator? Our cupcakes taste good. Well, God, I hope so,
1: because right. uh, you know,
0: you know, no one's <laughs> Why gonna do you have buy a cupcake them?
1: shop if your cupcakes yeah, are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you
0: had cupcakes that taste like crap, nobody would have said, "Leave your finance job <laughs> and start a cupcake shop." So,
1: <laughs> so, but, but I yeah, do go do that. That's sensible. Yeah,
0: but I do think it's interesting that something as easy as we sell out every day and we have a line is enough to create a story. So, for a regular, you know, some other entrepreneur out there. How, how do you help them identify their story?
1: I think the way I think I do it is I try to find patterns, right? It's all about trying to find patterns. It's like what is a little bit more unique than what you, than what your competitors offer? What is just a slight tweak? I think here's the thing. I think everybody thinks creativity is this wow, out-of-the-box, crazy idea, right? Like, the you know, the apple that falls from the tree and just, like, bops Newton on the head, and all of a sudden he, you know, um, he comes up with this brilliant idea for gravity. That's not how it works, you know? Like that's just not how it works. The best ideas, the best positioning, it really comes out of taking an idea and just taking a twist on it. What is that? Okay. So yeah, it's a cupcake shop and it's a cupcake shop that sells out every day. It's a cupcake shop that has a line out the door. That's different, right? Um, that's interesting enough, but it's not totally crazy, you know, out of the out of the world crazy, but it's enough to get people to talk. So when you are you have to be observant, I think. In order to create trends, in order to create stories, in order to create word of mouth marketing, you have to be observant. What gets people to talk? What gets people to laugh? What about your story is, makes somebody go, hmm, that's interesting. Usually your differentiator is somewhere in there.
0: So another thing that you're a specialist in is crisis PR. And I think this is really fascinating because a lot of people don't want to pay attention to PR until something bad happens and the news crew shows up out front. So what what is crisis PR and why should business owners at least be aware it exists? Even if they don't have a crisis today, why should they be aware that people like you are even in existence?
1: Yeah, right. So like Olivia Pope makes it look really easy and cool and fashionable. Um, while I would kill uh, figuratively for her wardrobe. Um, I wouldn't actually, but which which she has the ability to on the show, which I think is just like one of those things where like every PR person clearly is dreaming of that, right? This is John (laughs) DeBribe injected that into her script because literally you are, you're helping people when they are most vulnerable when the companies are going through just a very, very difficult, usually public, um, situation and it's up to them to respond in a way that makes the public either, you know, forgive the brand, forgive the company, or forgive the executive who's behind whatever snafu happened, or to rebound faster so the, so the business bottom line isn't impacted as much. And uh, I write for the Wall Street Journal Crisis of the Week column. And um, a lot of times you see companies who are just masterful at this, who have done a really good job. And uh, there's one example um, of a pharmaceutical company that just did something very, very interesting, and I think this is this is this is crisis communications at its best. So I think they're called Sanofi Sanofi. Um, they're a huge uh, pharmaceutical company, and I was called by the Wall Street Journal three months ago. And they said, hey, you know, they're, they're having a crisis situation. Allegedly, they put this vaccine out in the Philippines and it may have killed some children and we're not quite sure and it might be a bad vaccine. And, um, and so, you know, Sanofi was like doing all this, um, you know, they were doing everything they could to fix it and they tried to address the problem and they got some really bad press around it. Well, if that name of that pharmaceutical company sounds familiar, it's because when Roseanne bars show got canceled she tweeted out something racist and as a result of that tweet she said when people confronted her about it she said oh no 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 no. the reason why i tweeted that was because i took ambien and sanofi is the company that sells ambien (laughs) and Fe was really smart, right? They had crisis communications on the brain because they have clearly just gone through something. They were listening in real time to what was happening in the uh, cultural zeitgeist. And they realized, okay, this is our moment to rebound from that major crisis we just had. So they tweeted out, racism is not a side effect of Ambien.
0: <laughs> I remember that.
1: Right? It, and it just got, it got viral so fast and they bounced back so quick Because, and then whatever they did in the Philippines, nobody even paid attention to, right? Nobody even was listening to what had happened. And so, if you can respond in real time, if you can understand your crisis, you can come, you can get over and let your company get through some of the most tumultuous things that could ever happen to you. So, that's a skill that's pretty handy to have.
0: Sure. And I guess, you know, this really came in. I mean, this was before your time by by decades. But I mean, I remember when Tylenol had its problem back in the 70s or early 80s and they responded correctly. They pulled everything back. They owned what was going on. It wasn't them. Someone had tampered with their goods, but it it created a good scare. And and they got in front of the story and they took ownership of it and they took a big hit. They recalled everything. Uh, But by doing that and by doing it the way they did it, Tylenol went on to still continue to be one of the biggest brands that we have.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And even what Nike was doing with, um, you know, obviously just recently with their ad. I mean, there's just so many smart things that companies are doing. Um, and, and so crisis communications or real time communication, which I think is the flip of the same coin, is this ability to understand where you're vulnerable, how do you deal with those vulnerabilities, and then how do you respond um, you know, in real time to what's going on uh, so that your brand can bounce back and your business doesn't have to be super impacted.
0: So if a smaller business has a crisis and they need to find somebody, how, where do they even start? Who do they go to like in their community to find somebody to help them fast? Because some of these things, I mean, you've got hours or days you don't have forever
1: yeah well fucks they should look at me up um, <laughs> I can help them. um it's epic dot com um no, but um I think what you want to do is you want to figure out okay what is the severity of the situation how bad is it uh, how bad will it potentially get and then usually what happens is people will go to their attorney, they'll go to a lawyer, and the lawyer usually has relationships with crisis communities. I have many relationships with many attorneys um and they usually refer work, um, or they refer it over, or you can just Google crisis communication expert, um, you know, that will come up. Or they can
0: just remember they heard one on cool things entrepreneurs do, and they can just go That's through true. the archives and find a Adele. <laughs>
1: That's right. So, mm-hmm.
0: so now that you've been working for yourself for 11 years, since you quit that job and said, I'm going out on my own, this is my moment, what do you love about it? <laughs>
1: Um, I love that I can make my own schedule and I also hate that I make I make my own schedule. Um, I think I am absolutely motivated. Um and I'm and I'm pretty driven. Um I think what I hate about it is um really dealing with a lot of the stickiness that comes with being an entrepreneur, right? There's like such icky things that nobody talks about, like the fact that you have to do HR and payroll and like all these other, you know, if you own a small business, you just have to do, there's a lot of things that you do that other than the thing that you're really good at. Well, and and, sometimes um,
0: I don't have employees, but sometimes if you have employees, then you have to deal with employees. I mean, they bring their own, you know, BS to the, to the table. So all of a sudden you have to deal with that.
1: Yeah, employees can certainly be, you know, difficult. Um, I think I've had some really great employees and I've had some really bad employees. And I think every entrepreneur has run the spectrum with that. And I think it's about really creating a mission and a goal for your company that everybody is trying to hit. And um, And, you know, like every single year in January, I do vision boards. And I love to do a vision board and it sounds so cheesy, right? You just take a bunch of magazines, you cut some stuff out. But I think it is so important to put your goals up and to make them visual because every time I wake up, um, you know, I think everybody, every one of us probably has a computer at home. So like I put it in the spot where I, I have a computer at home and I wake up, I have my coffee and I'm staring at my vision board and it forces me to say, did you hit any of these things this year? Did you do any of these things? And somehow I get most of them done. Like usually most years I get 10 of 12 goals I put on a vision board. So I would really encourage people to visualize their goals. So I love that part of entrepreneurship. I love the part that I'm in, that I'm in control of my own destiny. Um, the negative part is, um, you know, is, is sometimes employees, is sometimes having some challenging people that you have to work with. It's tough
0: So what advice do you have for somebody who maybe they're working for an agency or some other type of company and they're ready to just say, I'm out of here. What would you tell them to do?
1: I would tell them to be um, cautiously optimistic. And I think um, the reason why I say that is if you want to get into your own business, one of the things I feel people really don't realize is you're going to have to sell. You're actually going to have to sell yourself your services, and your products. And you have to get comfortable with pricing yourself accordingly. I can tell you, I I know so many entrepreneurs who, you know, um, do really good work, really good work, and just cannot price their services the right way, Um, feel like sales is icky, feel like marketing or promotions is like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to promote myself. If any of those things is going through your mind as you launch a new business, don't do it. Because yes. I just I, don't think you'll be cut out for it.
0: I agree that you know? sales is the key. And, and I get very emotional about my sales when I have lo- a low quarter where my numbers aren't there. I get down on myself when I have you know a great quarter and I set records. I get really high on myself. And so I've tied myself very much as an entrepreneur to am I selling my services? Because if I don't, then we don't eat. So
1: Right. And I, so if you're not comfortable with selling or promotion or marketing, um, you can learn. But what I would say is it's really – that's a huge wall to to, um, to climb if you're starting out and you won't sell.
0: So, Dell, I talk a lot to companies that I work with about what I call the paradox of potential. We all think potential is so great, and somebody starts a business, and they and their investors and their friends and their mommy all look at them and say, oh, my gosh, you've got so much potential. But then most businesses don't succeed, and yet some do. So there's this gap that exists between potential and results. Why do you think some people get farther across that gap than other people?
1: Um, I think it's one word, uh, grit. I think you just have to dig into your failures. I think you have to have incredible self-awareness. What did I do to, if the is going really well, how did I make that happen? If the situation is going really poorly, how did I make that happen? And I think after you come to terms with some of those failures or some of those issues, how soon can you get back up and just get back on the horse again and do it again and, and try again, fail again? I mean, there's a lot of that, you know, oh, I have to fail over and over and over and over again. The truth is, is I don't think you have to fail over and over again, but you have to fail enough times, enough times to realize that you can't be arrogant. In entrepreneurship because every time you're arrogant you're like oh that's gonna work and it doesn't um you know you have to be adaptable and i think um you just have to realize like is it something you are truly passionate about because if it isn't there is somebody out there um who may do it better so how do you just get back up time and time and time again um I think I think it's grit. Interestingly, I come from a very, very long line of entrepreneurs. My great grandmother was an entrepreneur in the depression, which is completely unheard of, and she had a dry goods store um in Staten Island, New York, which you can probably hear some of my accent. <laughs> but um she um she had this dry goods store and she sold throughout the depression and I mean, it's just such an amazing story. Then I have grandfathers on both sides, and I have, you know, I have a, a great aunt who is an entrepreneur. I almost think it's it, it's something that's maybe in your genes, um, where you just have this need to fulfill something, to sell something.
0: Yeah, I wonder if anyone's ever done a study about the genetics of entrepreneurship. Because if you look at what happened in the 1800s and early 1900s, so many people were entrepreneurial in leaving Europe and, and other places to come to the United States to be part of this, this melting pot. And was it those people all had sort of that entrepreneurial, okay, I'll go give it a shot, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen to me thing in their genes, and they all moved to one place and then they all married and, and everything else. Do we just have an entrepreneurial gene uh, going on here? Because I definitely think that that's a little piece of the American spirit is I think as a whole – I think we are entrepreneurs. I think that we believe, hey, we can make this better.
1: I just remember, you know, I I remember as a kid going um, and, and seeing my grandfather have a business and he just seemed so cool. He was so my hero, you know, I was just like, oh my God, he's the boss. Like everybody's listening to him. Like everybody's paying attention to what he said. And he was a beloved man, you know, like he really helped his community and gave back and, um, was a pillar, um, of, of the community in New York. And it's just, it's very inspiring. It very inspiring and, um, and something I hoped to replicate, even though I didn't have any entrepreneurial vision until that one moment where I was like, I can do this. Why can't, if she could do it, I can do it. Um, I, and I had a lot of that. A lot of that going through my head. So, what I would say to people who really want to be entrepreneurs is to just know that it's not going to be an easy path. It's going to be difficult, but the reward is really sweet.
0: And I loved your choice of the word grit. I think that's awesome. Hey, I've got a couple of more questions for you, but first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So, this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Adele. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over right now to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Adele, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now?
1: I think the coolest thing I'm doing is I'm reinventing it. Um, You know, I've I've, I've had the business for a long time. It's been very successful. Um, You know, as as an entrepreneur, I can say uh, with some degree of a humble brag that we are on the top 25 list of of firms in the Washington, D.C. area. And that was not an easy feat. And I think, um, you know, I've come to the point where I now just want to reinvent it. I think PR, as we know it, is kind of dead. Um, I think it's it's in a resurgence and a reinvention. People don't call it that anymore. And I think, um, you know, I am just reinventing myself as as I need to and reinventing the business as I need to. So one of the things I'm going to be doing is focusing on this idea of speed. Um, How do you respond within an hour? of an opportunity or a crisis for your business and i think speed will be the defining factor in how businesses win um in in the news and digital media game so yeah it's kind of an interesting time
0: well in the world we live in it's all about you know now right so i guess speed is is the key word so i think you're onto something really cool
1: thank you Thank you.
0: So I love to ask the people who come onto this show who they admire in the world of entrepreneurship, whether it's somebody famous or it's their dry cleaner. Who do you see out there in the entrepreneur sphere where you say, wow, she's doing something cool or he's doing something cool?
1: So, oh my gosh, mine is such a pat answer, but um, I've actually been, this is really interesting, I've been on CNN talking about Elon Musk Mm -hmm. um, and his whole like. Masterful media strategy. Um, The way Elon Musk deals with the media, uses the media to his advantage, plays the whole game is fascinating. Um, I think what he's done in the last like two weeks with being on a podcast and smoking pot, I'm not sure if I think that's the best (laughs) movie he's ever made, but hey, you know, like that's just me. Um, But he's made some other things. He's, He's definitely made some other really critical, smart moves. But what's really fascinating about even his strategy is notice he does something sort of like a gaffe um, right before he's going to make a major announcement. I don't think that's not intentional. So he had everybody talking about him taking, you know, being on that podcast, smoking marijuana. Um, And then like a week and a half later, he's talking about the fact that his SpaceX rocket is totally sold out. But he's now in, you know, in in your mindset because you're thinking about him on that podcast, and maybe that's a negative. But he's still top of mind, and I just think the way he manipulates the media is fascinating.
0: Well, it's kind of like he plays both sides of it. That old that old adage, you mm-hmm. know, there's no there's no bad press. You know, he sort of he sort of plays the the blunders as well as he plays the successes. But we're still talking about him.
1: We're still talking about him. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there is such thing as bad press. I think that that is a misnomer. But I think the fact that like he uses the bad press to his advantage is what's so fascinating about him. And if you can see, that's a pattern throughout his career. It's like right before he's going to do something cool, he messes something up. And it's almost like he doesn't want to be the hero in his own story. And there's like a level of humility that makes the world forgive him and want to talk about him more because it's like if you're always up 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 they want to to knock you off a pedestal you know um but for him he's like down then he's up well i was trying Um, to explain it's intentional
0: i was trying to explain to someone the other day that you know 20 years after the show friends debuted it's not an accident that jennifer aniston still is on all the tabloids you know that doesn't happen by accident she's got people behind the scenes who keep, her, who keep her on the tabloids, because when's the last time you remember her doing something? But the tabloids Great. still are reporting everything, and that is all PR, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's definitely all PR, but the interesting thing is, like, you do have to be skilled at messing with the media, right? Like, I mean, there there have been huge stars that have been taken down by the media because they think they could manip- manipulate them, and the thing about it is, it's just Elon Musk has figured it out. Another one another entrepreneur. And like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you don't have to be a tech billionaire or a famous, um, you know, pop star like Taylor Swift, but Taylor Swift's beautiful with the media. I mean, she's got amazing strategy behind everything that she does. Um, and I've written a lot of articles about her. I think she's so smart. And what is she like under 30? And I think her, her latest tour is like an $80 million adventure. Yeah. I mean, she's an entrepreneur, and she's smart.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, and she is, you know, I, I don't think it's by accident that she dated every famous person you could find.
1: <laughs> she's totally courting controversy, and, like, you know, she sells more intrigue than actually good music. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think as entrepreneurs, we got to do more than just make money. I, I think we have to somehow contribute. So what do you do?
1: So every year we do a pro bono campaign for one nonprofit. Um, last year we did something for um, women in domestic violence. I do I do a lot of work with nonprofits and associations. I think what they're doing with CSR standpoint is so important. What they're doing to bring about awareness for certain issues is super important. Um, and so I think every business should, you know, in some way give back. And I think the pro bono accounts, for us, um, are a really good way for us to learn, to learn and to and to give back to the community. So, um, and I feel good about it. I think that there, um, there is something to that idea that whatever you give, you get back. I think it's true.
0: No, oh, I think, and I think that I think that's awesome. Hey, before I say goodbye, I had one question I wrote down uh, that my wife had, had asked to ask you, and I think that it's actually a really good question. And I always do everything my wife tells me to do.
1: He's a smart man.
0: Yeah. And so I want to go back to the business side just really quick. And that is, how has social media really changed PR? How has Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, how does that affect PR and the job that you do? Because it's gotta be something. It's gotta be a serious impact in the last five or six years.
1: Oh my gosh, it is. Um (laughs) did did we just open up another half hour,
0: another half hour
1: podcast? (laughs) I know, I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to like condense this down. I think when you come up in a PR role, you are taught that everything needs to be perfect. Every every message, every approach, everything needs to be perfect. And the problem with social media is it's not possible. There is an executive that did something wrong. There is someone who tweeted something bad. There is some fire that you are not going to know about and it's going to creep up into your brand story. And if you are always perfect, someone is going to want to knock you down. And so it's better for you to create, um, whatever controversy, whatever negative angle, it's better for you to control the story than for someone else to just come out of the blue with something that's controversial. So I think this idea that you can control everything, um, has really changed the face of PR. And like when it first, when, when social media first came out, I think PR people really missed the boat because they became the cops of the internet. You know, they became the police of everything you should say, not say, and they wanted to just keep it the way it was. And so I think now it requires a level of adaptability, creativity, um, and you have to get comfortable being vulnerable. That is not something the PR people like to do (laughs) so I think that that's that's how it's changed it is we have to be vulnerable
0: well Adele I feel like we just had a master class in PR and crisis communications for the listeners of cool things entrepreneurs do so thank you so much for for giving us you know 40 minutes of your time here on the show
1: thank you Tom I so appreciate it um, thank you for the opportunity.
0: No, this was great. I think this is gonna be one of those episodes that I get every now and then I have a guest where everybody emails me and says, we have to know more. How do I find them? So let's just tell them right now. If somebody's like, I have to find this woman, how do they do that? Where do they get in touch with you?
1: Sure. So you can go to my website, um it's epic um, yep. dot com.
0: Is that fine? Its epic.com. I
1: T S E P I C Yep.com. And um, you can go check us out there. Yeah, and um, I write for Inc. and for The Wall Street Journal as well. So check out some of those articles.
0: Yeah, you've got to go to both Wall Street Journal and Inc. and, and read the articles that she writes because they're they're very, very good. And if you uh, follow her on social media, she usually is pretty good about posting the links to those articles too. So you'll find them all.
1: Thank you. Hey, Tom, I want to tell you one quick story. Maybe this wouldn't, wouldn't make it or it, it might, but just off the cuff. I was watching this uh, Steven Spielberg documentary about how he came up through Hollywood. And I'm a huge Spielberg fan. I'm not sure if you are. But, um, but, you know, obviously, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, like, he, you know, every single movie we ever saw is there. So um, they were talking about the first movie he ever made. And he is 159 days over budget. And everybody in Hollywood thinks he's going to fail and fail big. And um, he's got some mechanical shark. The mechanical shark's not working. He's got to improvise with, like, orange barrels. And um, you know, and he wound up. You know, the studio was just about to pull the plug, and then obviously Jaws, you know, debuted. And what is so interesting is it was a huge blockbuster, and Steven Spielberg was so happy that he did it. And he said it was my free pass. It was my free pass to be as creative as I want to develop whatever I want. And I would say to people out there, especially entrepreneurs, people who want to do marketing communications get out there from a PR standpoint is you got to be bold. You have to do something that nobody else has done before and you will create your own free pass when you're able to just get outside your comfort zone.
0: And, And I'm finding that sort of even in 10 years into my speaking career, I finally reached a point where I can just go out on stage and play and I'm finding I'm a better speaker because of that. And I don't know you know, necessarily where it all came from. Part of it's come from the stand-up comedy stuff I've done. Part of it comes from having done 800 speeches. But that really resonated with me because I recently did a conference and the uh, – Planner of the conference had an idea, and since it was their idea, if it sucked, it wasn't going to look bad on me. And that was before, <laughs> but it was true before the show. Oh, I was the master of ceremonies for the conference, and it was a typical big. there was like three thousand people in the audience. Doors opened at eight thirty. Show started at nine. At eight forty-five, they had me run out on stage with a big bag of logoed items from the association, and I came out. and I had been the MC last year, so half the crowd knew who I was. I did a quick introduction of myself, and I told them we were going to have a game show every morning. And I ran down into the audience, and I said, if you're sitting in the front four rows, you might get free stuff. And I held up like a $25 collared logoed item and a nice mug. And as people would sit down, we flashed things on the screen that were questions, and people would raise their hands, and I'd make them be silly. And they'd answer the question. Whether they got it right or wrong, they still won the prize. I'd go to the next person. We'd ask another question. And afterwards, the show organizer was like, God, you just owned that. And I said it was kind of – I didn't use the word free pass, but it really was was my free pass to go be really silly because it was their idea. And then I'd run backstage at like two minutes to nine, and at nine, I'd come back out in sort of my MC role, and I'd just be who I always am. But it worked, and the reason it worked is it was a free pass. It was like go out there and be goofy. If people think it's dumb, that's the planner's fault, not mine.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think this idea, I think what happens when you first become an entrepreneur is you are so self-conscious and there are so many people who are like, you might not, you might not succeed. You, you're you going to fail for these five reasons. And there's so much doubt all around you. And I think one of the best things of being an entrepreneur for a while is you realize that like, even if you take the chance, even if you take that free path and you fail, you're still going to be in business the next day. Yeah. Um, so i think that's a huge advantage for people who have been in business for a while.
0: Well, this was a great, great discussion. So thank you again so much for, for tuning in. And thank you for everybody who listened, because I say it every time, if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Uh, if you like the show, go leave a review on iTunes. Better yet. Go tell your friends. If you listen to cool things entrepreneurs do and you say, this show sucks less than other podcasts, make sure that all your friends know it. Go out and tell people this is a good show because the only way people find my show is somebody talks about it. There's too much noise out there. There's too many podcasts. And most people who tell me, I listen to your show, I said, how did you find out about it? They say, one of my friends told me. So if you like today's episode, go and tell a friend. Uh, We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Adele Sears. I know you're thinking, how will you ever find somebody as cool as Adele? (laughs) But I will. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge each and every one of you. Go on out there and have a great day.